John Newton, I believe it was John Newton, who said this. He said, the most important task he has every day. Now think about what your most important task is. I wonder what we would write. I wonder if we could write all our answers and put them on the screen. John Newton said the most important task he has every day is to get his soul happy in Jesus. I love that. I wish, though, that I lived with that kind of of a, a, a sense of the reality of the truth of the gospel. He's saying that every morning I get up and I make it my aim to get my soul happy in Jesus. What I want to encourage us all towards is when we think about Advent, let's make it. If you're a Christian here and, and you're worshiping with us through the season of Advent, let's make it our aim to get our souls happy in Jesus this Christmas. You'll be so much better for it. Because if you get your soul happy in Jesus, then you become like Jesus. You care about the things that Jesus cares about. You will be a good citizen of heaven if you get your souls happy in Jesus. So that's the task this morning. O come, O come, Emmanuel is what we're focused on. Now we'll take a little test. Um, you don't have to call out your answers or anything, but just think for a minute, if you're a note taker, um, try to write down as many lyrics as you can. I'll start you off. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Now, you don't have to sing anymore. But it's, what would you say next? Yeah. Somebody's on their phone singing it out. It starts out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. This hymn, of all the hymns that we'll look at, is actually the oldest. This hymn probably was, originates in, in Latin around the 8th century. And it didn't have English words put to it until like the 1700s. It's a brilliantly composed hymn. One of the things that the writer does is the composer has composed the, the hymn as, it's, as the, we sing about a need for ransom and being held captive and living in mournful exile, lonely mournful exile, which, by the way, if, if it hasn't stuck with you yet, is a very sad thing to experience. Ransom, what's that? I ask my family, what's the first thing that comes to, ran comes to your mind when you think of ransom? Being a hostage? and someone demanding money. The ransom, captivity, Israel, loneliness, mournful exile. And so the writer actually wrote the song so that you sing it in minor keys, in minor chords. I'm not a musician, so I might not be saying this thing's technically right. But that song sounds kind of sad. It's done on purpose. 
One of the things the writer of that song does in order to highlight certain words, he, he uses uh, a technique called a melisma. And, and a melisma is where you take one word, but you sing a number of notes with the one word. And you do that in order to highlight certain things. I'll give you an example. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. You hear that? Doing that on purpose. Highlighting the word, the simple word God by giving it a number of notes. Brilliantly composed, brilliantly written. What we're going to focus on is this first stanza of of ransom and captivity and mourning and lonely exile and what this means. Now, I wonder what would happen if we were to just be able to drop in to the first Christmas. If you could just, if you could, what do they call that on Star, Star Trek? If you could teleport, right? If you could drop in to the scene at the first Christmas. You see these like AI things? That meta X, you see that there's a commercial now. I'm watching football and I see a commercial of a guy who's laying on his bed wishing that he could feel the energy of really playing in an NFL game with 60,000 people cheering for him. And so then they show him with his artificial, his meta X, is that what they call him? And he's got it on and he's actually playing in a way that he is experiencing the game the way an NFL player would experience. I wonder what you think you would experience if you showed up at the first Christmas. You put your AI on and what would you experience? Imagine just dropping into it right now. It's probably not what you think. I guarantee it's not what you think. We've made it so, we've made it, we've hallmarked it. We've made it so cozy and so comfortable I mean, you, you show up and, and the scene is in a, a manger and Joseph is standing there with bloody hands. Why are your hands bloody, Joseph? Because I just delivered a baby. That's why. Wrapped him in the rags that they had laying in the barn or that they packed with him and laid him in a uh, uh, a trough. It's muddy. It's manure. It's a barnyard. And there are shepherds standing around. And the shepherds turn to you and say, they look at the baby and they look at you and they say, you know who this is? And you say, yeah, I know who it is. Actually, I do. His name is Jesus. And they said, that's right. That's who it is. And they say, and the angels actually appeared to us. I know, it's crazy to us. 
Angels appeared to us and told us to come here, to follow, to, to follow the star and to, to come here and, and to, that we would find him in Bethlehem. And this whole night has been amazing. And we can't stop praising God for leading us to this special child. But then they ask you another question. We aren't entirely sure what is so special about him. We know there's something special about him. But I wonder if you could tell me What is so special about him? He must be sent from God. Do you know why he was sent? What has this baby come to do? I wonder what you would say. What would your answer to the shepherds be? I can imagine a lot of different answers. Jesus has come to show us how to live. Or maybe you'd say, came to heal people. Or you might say, he came to show God's love to the world. Or you might say, he's come to meet people's physical and spiritual needs. Or some people might say, he came to be a good moral example for us. And all of those answers would have some truth to them. But there's a better answer that's more to the point and more to the heart of Christmas and Jesus' own mission. Jesus tells us why he came in the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bible, grab it and open it up to Mark Chapter 10, verse 45. This is right in the middle of Mark's gospel. The gospel being all that God did in Jesus to save us. Mark tells his account of this gospel, which was really Peter's gospel. Mark, being a friend of Peter's, wrote it all down. And in Mark 10, 45, Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples, and he tells us, because this is God's holy word, he tells us what his purpose was in coming. He answers the question, what did the baby come to do? Mark 10, 45 says this. For even the Son of Man, a reference to Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, And to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're going to explore this idea of ransom. What did Jesus mean when he said he came to give his life as a ransom for many? Ransom is a word that's used in the Bible, but it's usually seen in the word redemption. And redemption simply means God's plan of salvation through Jesus. When you think of ransom, it involves the release of people, animals, property from being trapped or held captive. To be redeemed or to be ransomed always involves outside help. 
The idea of being ransomed is a, a recognition that you're so trapped that you can't get yourself out of the situation. You need an alien help. You need an outside force to help you. Only someone who is strong or in some cases rich can bring it about in the Bible. God always plays the leading role in redemption. It comes from the Hebrew word, two words actually in Hebrew, pada, to ransom, and gaul, 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 to redeem. The Greek translates it differently. The Greek translates it litro, to ransom, and agorazo, to buy. Theologically, the concept of ransom flows right from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Our Bibles fit together. First, one of the first places we see the idea of ransom is in the Old Testament laws of Exodus. Actually, Exodus 21.30, you can read this. Basically, I'll explain it to you. If you had a big ox, you don't, we don't operate with many ox around here. So a big bull, which is a male cow, for those of you who don't know that. That was supposed to be funny, but a lot of you don't even know. You didn't even get the joke because you don't even know what I'm talking about. A big bull. If you had a big bull in ancient Israel and he breaks out of the enclosure that you've created for him and he gores someone to death, then this is the consequences. You got to kill the bull. And you can't eat him. You can't, you can't eat him. That's one of the consequences. That's why you raise them. You kill them. You eat them. you got to put him down, stone him in this case, and you can't eat him. But the owners are not responsible. Because in an agrarian society, sometimes cows break loose. And they do things that are out of your control. However, if you own a bull that is particularly ornery, and he regularly gets out of his enclosure and treats people poorly, maybe he's cornered some people and tried to gore them, tried to spear them with his horns, and the owners have been warned. Yo, man, I was out for a walk yesterday with my wife and old Ferdinand was out again and he put my wife up a tree and she had to stay there for six hours till he wandered off. If that's the situation and the old bull gores someone, now we got a different problem on our hands because you've been told, you've been warned. Now the bull has to die, and the owner has to die. Bull got to die. Owner got to die. He's been irresponsible. 
and it costs someone their life. Verse 30 says this, though. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption, you see the word being used there again, for the ransom of his life, whatever is imposed on him. So God permits the ransom or the redemption of someone condemned to death provided that the victim's family consents. You didn't think you were going to get this at Advent, did you? Merry Christmas. So here, ransom extends mercy toward the irresponsible. Aren't you glad that God extends mercy toward the irresponsible? How many irresponsible things are represented in this room? You see those Black Friday little, you jump on the website and it's like the time, the, the, the clock's ticking. It's like all the, all the minutes that you have left before Christmas Day. I wonder how the clock, I wonder how the ticker would go if we just said, okay, God, put up there all the irresponsible things that we've done and let the ticker fly. I'm not talking about the irresponsible things you did that you got caught for only. I don't know how many in here have ever gotten a DUI. But I guarantee you there's more people in this room that have drank more than they should have and then gotten behind the wheel but they ain't never get caught for it. But it's a significantly irresponsible thing to do. Am I right? I'm so glad, God, that you have mercy towards the irresponsible. We've done so many irresponsible things. We've treated sex very irresponsibly. Made decisions with our lives that go clearly against God's law. living with people that aren't our spouse. God, 
has mercy towards the irresponsible. This isn't the only idea of ransom. The most classic, memorable use of the idea of ransom, redemptive language, is how God redeems his people Israel out of slavery to Egypt. It's the Old Testament metaphor that flows right into the New Testament, helping us to understand what it means to need someone to ransom you, someone to redeem you. Israel was enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. The story's found in Exodus. You can read it for yourself. God's redemption frees the, the Israelites who are slaves from brutal, oppressive captivity under Pharaoh. Until God intervenes, Pharaoh holds them by force, cruelly controlling their population by throwing the male babies into the river and demands impossible productivity in sweatshop conditions. And it's wrong. But God provides a ransom. God redeems. And the redemption doesn't come through a repayment of money. It comes because Yahweh, because God, overpowers Pharaoh's grip on his people. So here, ransom extends to rescue those who are in captivity, to rescue those who are in danger. And this exodus significantly shapes our understanding of of the theology of salvation. In fact, after the exodus, one of the popular titles for God becomes Gaul, which is that Hebrew word which means redeemer. It's interesting, it's where we get our word jail. So, so this idea of, of being rescued out of jail is what redemption and ransom carries with it. One of the most common kinds of ransoms in the Old Testament was something called a kinsman redeemer. I love this stuff. You could make a great movie out of this if you just wanted to. But a kinsman redeemer, it's a great story of Ruth and Boaz. But a kinsman redeemer was, was, the redeemer was a close male relative obligated under the law to assist relatives that were in distress. So, so if you were part of a family, every family had a kinsman redeemer, and that kinsman redeemer looked out for everyone. And so if you found, if, you, if your crops failed, you didn't have money, you ended up having to mortgage your property, then the kinsman redeemer was, is someone that would come and pay money to redeem your property, to ransom your property back into the family name. If, you're, if you were... Uh, if, you're, if you were in a situation where, this is, this is, I just can't imagine this stuff, but if, you, if your family had, had one of the, the young men, leaders of a family, die, then it was the obligation of the Redeemer, who would be like a brother, maybe, to the, to the person to marry the widow so that she could have children and have an inherit, leave something for her family. Can you imagine that? Aren't you glad all those laws aren't being enacted now? That seems kind of weird. The Redeemer paid the ransom to protect the family against weakness and restore its debilitating losses. 
the songwriters in this song, they actually have O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here. What are the songwriters writing about? They're writing about another time in Israelite history where the people, God's people, he made a covenant with them. He loves them. He, 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 he has rescued them from slavery, and he set them free, and he's, he loves them according to his grace and his steadfast love, and he, and he gives them his law, and he says, you have to, you have to obey, you have to do it this way, this is what it means, this is what you got to live, this is how you have to live if you're going to be my people, and the people just turn against him, they rebel against him until finally they're exiled from the land, the promised land that he promised to give them, but they, the land actually vomits them out, they have to leave the land as a consequence for their rebellion against God, and so the songwriters are talking about this period of time where the Israelites are mourning in exile, and they're begging for relief. And Isaiah tells that one day God will rescue his people from exile, and the restored people will actually be given a new name, the ransomed of the Lord. When we get to heaven, and Joe preached on this last week, and Isaac preached on this idea of, of heaven and what it's going to be like and the new heaven and the new earth. When we get there, the whole mass of people can be categorized under one simple phrase, the ransomed of the Lord, the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This is the truth of God's word. And ransom is used only three times in the New Testament, probably the first time in Mark's gospel where he tells us that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Does ransom make a little more sense this morning now? This is what Jesus came to do came to ransom us. Redemption in the Old Testament refers to forgiveness of sin because only God's power offers hope for ransom. Only God's power offers hope for forgiveness of sin. Sin is this overpowering force which, which shows our slavery to it and something we needed to be rescued from. And this is why Christmas is. Christmas is telling us that we needed to be ransomed, rescued from the brokenness and bondage to sin, and God sent Jesus to break us from the shackles. Isn't that something to worship for? Him for? Just as ancient Israel was held captive in exile and longed, to be ransomed back to their homeland where they belong. We're reminded of our captivity to sin and the brokenness of this fallen world, longing to be set free, longing to be ransomed, longing to be returned to our proper place, what we were created for, which is the worship and enjoyment of God. To all who long to see all wrongs righted. The Christ of Christmas says come. To all who long to see all things made new. 
the Christ of Christmas says come. To all who have been hurt and need healing, the Christ of Christmas invites you to come. To all he, who keep trying to get their souls happy in the wrong thing, the Christ of Christmas invites you to come and truly experience satisfaction of soul. To all who have failed and need strength to try again, the Christ of Christmas says come. To all who have sinned and need forgiveness and need a Savior, the Christ of Christmas says come. Should we sing as happy Christians this Advent season? Yes, we should. Because he has, ran if you're in Christ, he has ransomed you by his grace, by his love. You could have never gotten yourself broken free from the shackles that held you. But Christ, in his mercy and love, has ransomed you from the captivity that would still enslave you if it weren't for his grace. Let's just talk about how we could apply this. Because one of the applications is sing, and we're going to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel in just a minute. One question I think I, I try to often ask myself, and I think it's good to ask ourselves, is what is the Word of God trying to make out of us? <laughs> what is the gospel making out of you? The gospel is a transformative thing, right? It, it's, it rescues us. It transforms us. But it changes us. And it keeps on doing that. We keep on growing into the image of Christ. What's the gospel going to make out of you? What's the gospel going to do in your life this Christmas season? What does God want to make out of you? What does Christmas want to produce in you? What should the effect of being ransomed by God have upon you? What, what, what effect should that have? This is a key verse in Mark's gospel where Mark details for us the purpose of Christ. But I want you to understand that, that what Jesus declares as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many actually came, his, his teaching there came in the context of an argument that the disciples that he came to ransom are arguing about and their argument after he has just told them that they're going he's going to the cross he's going to suffer he's going to be rejected that flies right over their heads they seem to care less and they get into an argument about who is the greatest which one of you guys thinks which one do you think is the greatest and it would be funny if we didn't all do it i have laid in my bed meditating on how great i am how great I want to be, how great I thought I would be at this time. How I've, haven't you done this? Since I was a teenager, I've had, I would daydream about me being exalted in some great way over you. <laughs> I do. It's always me getting, yeah, yeah, it's always you guys cheering for me in all of my dreams. And I know that I can say that without feeling guilty because that's your dreams. 
You're always dreaming. You're always at the center. You're either happy because you desire to be at the center or you're severely depressed because you never feel like you're at the center. It's all the same. You desire to be at the center. And Jesus, in this argument, he tells them, listen, even for even, this is the highest rationale for how you should live your life. Do you want to know what it is? Here's the ultimate rationale for what, how Christians should live their lives. Even the Son of Man, Jesus, even Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So how much more, Kenny, should your life be lived in service towards others? Jesus should have been waited upon when he showed up to the restaurant. Instead, he's the waiter. I don't get that, but I love that and I need that because that's how he ransoms us. So I'm asking the question, what does the fact that you've been ransomed have upon you? What impact does that make upon you? Well, in the context here, you can tell if Christmas has really come to someone's heart. You can tell whether someone has really prepared room in their heart for Jesus if they actually look like him, if they actually act like him, which is what? It's not to be served. It's to serve. So one of the marks of whether Christmas has come to your heart, has has Christmas come to the manger of your being? Has Jesus come to you? Has he ransomed you? Well, then one of the, 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 the changes that immediately takes place is you stop living with this selfish attitude that life is all about me, and you actually start living that life is about others. And that is impossible to do unless Jesus ransoms you from sin and captivity to it. True greatness, Jesus says, doesn't come from trying to satisfy the longings of your being through the philosophies of the world which is life and others exist for me. It's me first. We size up other people in terms of what they can do for us. We do this at, we, 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 we go to parties and we hang around the people that make us feel good and we avoid the downers. And it's not just because of what they can do for us. It's what I want. In that moment, I want to be happy. And sometimes there's people that make me unhappy. So I walk to the other side of the room to find someone that will make me happy. It's all about me. Jesus is saying, Jesus ain't going for that. He says that, that these guys are shallow for walking and talking about who's going to be the greatest. True greatness, Jesus models, he teaches, and he models, comes from serving. We're always chasing after upward mobility. But this passage tells us of the purpose of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, summed up in a word, ransom. And ransom reminds us of the incredible downward mobility of Jesus. Opportunities, let me ask the band to return. 
opportunities all around us this Christmas season to, to allow Christmas, the Christ of Christmas, to allow the ransom that he affected to actually transform us. You, you can get, I, I know it's hard to believe, but you can get a lot of joy out of Christmas if you take the focus off of yourself and put it on others. It's a, it's a biblical, it's a Jesus principle. I wish it was easy to get, though. Man, I, I, I just came off of Thanksgiving, and I feel like my whole Thanksgiving was like vacillating between what I know to be true, that Jesus at his, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, and living for him, and living others-centered, and then just in, internally wrestling with, I want this about me, I want this about me, and I kind of bounce back and forth, wrestling. I need to get my soul happy in Jesus. And when I get my soul happy in Jesus, I can do the things that his word calls me to, and I can actually find joy in loving him and serving him and serving you instead of always putting myself at the center of every daydream. Don't you want that? You do if you're in Christ. I know you do. If you're in Christ, you want that. Some people are better at this than others. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but some people are just better servants than others. It's just true. We're all called to serve. Find somebody that's really good at that and ask them, how do you do that? How do you always seem to put others first? Opportunities all around us, no matter who you are, wife, husband, mother, kid, student, artist, business owner, friend, neighbor, all kinds of opportunities this Christmas to serve and not looking only to be served. This song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it simultaneously expresses this ancient longing of the Israelites for their promise their promised home, and the first advent had not yet come, as the writer is describing the exile they're experiencing. But now, just as Darren said this morning, that we, we sing knowing that the first advent has come. But the present longing we have, we have, when we look around us and see this world so broken, it's for our second advent, which Joe and Isaac were preaching on, which will establish Jesus' kingdom here on earth. So let's sing this song together, having learned some things from the scriptures, having reflected on some rich truth, and let's get our souls happy in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.